0: and the world was formless and void, tohu vavohu, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and a wind was hovering over the waters. See this scene in your reality, in your mind. Dark, cold, chaos waters, formless, orderless, wild and waste. A pitch-black water world of nothingness, waves crashing, trepidation and certain death all around. Can you think of a more terrifying scene? And yet to the creator, this is his canvas. This is his starting point for our universe, our beginning, our origin story. Does that remind you of anything on this topic? Any other stories you might see in the Bible, Genesis, another setting of great disaster involving chaos waters and the unknown? I'm kind of hitting you over the head with it, but you see my point. You see the connection to our righteous hero Noah here? Like many threads and callbacks that the Hebrew scriptures are dripping with. This is the age old, here we go again. The biblical writers are so creative and they want you to pause and go, oh yeah, yeah, I've seen this one before. Is it possible that the first story we get, the story of our beginnings could have a connection to the great flood? And if so, why? Who cares? What would the point of that callback already be? So let's look at one key aspect so far. Day one. The spirit, the wind, the Ruach, hovering over the waters. There's Bible verse I think about sometimes, many times. It goes. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I sing who shall I sing? Liars. No. Liars. Silly. I said, You're a send me. Is there anything like that in the Noah story? The spirit, the wind, the Ruach. Think of the end of the flood portion. Chapter 8, we have God remembered Noah and caused a great wind to blow over the waters. Hmm. Alright, let's look at day two. See if you can visualize this one. How would you draw this if you were telling this to your, to your children? And God made the skies and the sky divided between the waters below the sky and the waters above the sky. So can you see that? So back to our boy in chapter 8 again. God caused the flood to stop by how? By stopping up the waters. And he described it like this. By stopping up the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky. The clouds. Water above, water below. The same way God brought the flood by allowing the waters above from the rains and storms and the waters below from the wells and seas to overwhelm the earth. He is showing how he is separating the waters, just like creation. All right, let's check day three. Any Bible people in the audience? What happened on day three? The waters recede and dry land appears. Come on, man. So, I mean, and after that, in the Noah story, Noah sends out the dove and the dove comes back with an olive branch telling us that there are, in fact, trees and vegetation. They are back. Okay, so flip pages back to day three again. Let the land produce vegetation, plants yielding seeds and trees of the land bearing fruit. It's all there. The Bible is amazing. You should read the Bible. I'm not going to deeper on this, but you, you can kind of see that, right? I want you to see things like this as you go forward in your walk. Get your antennas up. Ask why. What's the play here? Sit on it for a minute. Maybe the answer is in the Torah. They want us to look at the flood as another creation wrinkle, right? I think it's saying, dear reader, I am walking through the building blocks of creation again. Are you tracking with me? Because as you can see, I'm doing it again. I'm creating again. I'm making things new again. We discussed this in the last podcast, my theory on why and how we got to this spot. And now I'm showing you a theme again. The creation of the world seems to be happening again. At least the earthly you know, creation is happening again. The heavens seem to be left alone. This is an earth adjustment, a pivot, detour. We got a little off the rails, <laughs> as we love to do <laughs> as a people group. But, you know, God in his love, he works with our mess. Man, he does. This world is different than before the flood, don't you think? This is just a thought of mine from going over this. But this side of the flood, this world... It appears more resistant to me, more sturdy. It's stout, you know, not as beautiful. Maybe it's set up a little bit more self-sufficient so the hard edges are kind of worn down. This world feels like a juke more than forever, you know. There's a sadness that Noah is going to have to dig us out of. And if you look at his name, as I've said, he's exactly the man for that job. The Torah tells us exactly how we got it. Remember from the last episode on Cain, I discussed Lamech, who's Noah's father, that really cool connection story, or at least it was cool to me. My numbers were, you know, you know, not as high on that episode, <laughs> but nevertheless, dude, I love it. Lamech made a declaration on Noah's birth and it says, he called his name Noah, meaning this, this one will comfort us from our work and from the sadness of our hands. Which comes from the ground which the Lord has cursed. End quote. For more thoughts on the ground, the earth being cursed, you know, go back to that study on Cain. I went into that a lot. So I went into the Adam and Eve tree of life, tree of knowledge of you know good and bad. Uh, a theme from both of those curses and punishments is the alienation from God, and then the difficulty laid upon them in farming. You know, getting bounty from the earth—it's difficult now. Look back at Genesis three seventeen. In sadness, you will eat of it all of your life. And then this gets intensified for Cain as he is told, the land will not continue to yield to you, her strength. So Noah has seen from the viewpoint of his dad that he, he was going to stop this or make things different somehow as he would comfort us from our work, from the sadness of our hands, which comes from the ground. I guess the sad part of this story is that shortly after you know, this naming of Noah and his mission. Six short verses ahead, we get a different message. God has decided that it is time to, uh, you know, to end this place. Hit reset. Start over. He is destroying everything. And here's an interesting detail that I bet you missed. If you look at God's decision to destroy the earth, it looks pretty close to Lamech's decision to name his son Noah. So here we go some Hebrew word fun. I know you guys love this, right? Speak America. So, in Hebrew, God's regret is expressed by literally the same word as Lamech's word for comfort, which I know sounds weird, but that's 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 Hebrew for you. And that is vayanachim, from the root word nun chet mem. So, isn't my Hebrew getting good, guys? It's getting better, isn't it? So, alright, if that doesn't do it for you, then how about this? There are four words in the declaration that get repeated in God's declaration as well. So, this one will comfort us from our work and from the sadness of our hands, which comes from the ground which the Lord has cursed. And not only are they repeated, but they are, they are repeated in the exact same order for Lamech as God. Bible's amazing. You should read the Bible. <laughs> so, quote, and the Lord regretted, that word is vayanachim, same as comfort, that he had made man on the earth and he was saddened to his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe out man who I have created from the face of the earth. That's Genesis 6, 7. So he regretted, same as comforted. He made man. He was saddened from the earth. Same word, same order. Sadness, work, comfort, ground. All right, uncle on the word play there, Tyler. All right, let's unpack the notion of comfort then for a minute, shall we? Comfort we hate being uncomfortable especially in this country we don't know what to do when we experience discomfort on any level it it's our band-aid to get through the day we crave it i'm mocking the small discomforts here but also for the big life hits the loss of a loved one death of a parent or god forbid a child or anyone close to you health news out of nowhere financial news out of nowhere a spouse tells you they're leaving i read an article on grief and it talked about the You know, the word mourner is a person who asks the impossible question. The question we know has no answer, and yet the mourner asks it. And that question is what? How could this possibly have happened? What did I do to deserve this? There is no answer. So all we do is learn to live with it, to reconcile ourselves to the fact that, indeed, this thing has happened. I don't know how, but this is my new reality. The word for a mourner in Hebrew is avel which is spelled with the same Hebrew letters, Aleph, Bet, Lamed. And those same letters spell out Aval in Hebrew, which means but or, you know, nevertheless. So being a mourner, being an Avel, simply means embracing the aspect of nevertheless. Why did this happen? How could this have happened? I don't know. I might never know. But nevertheless, it has happened. So that's the thought on comfort. When people try to comfort us, sometimes they give us a, a different perspective, right? You might hear someone say, well, look at it this way, you know, dot, dot, dot. Or, well, if that never happened, then this thing would have never happened. So it's kind of a good thing when you look into it that way, right? I mean, you know, th- their heart's in the right place. We all have had those conversations. Sometimes they help. Sometimes they don't. And I think that is okay either way. At least you're processing the pain but I want to challenge you on something that I think the biblical authors are, are trying to do to us here, and that is this. I don't think all uncomfortable things should be accommodated. What I mean by that is some things we should not just get used to. You know, Some hardships are meant to push us. Like I've said, what does God do to his chosen people? He pushes them. He challenges them. He lets the adversary challenge them. He tests them, and not like the other gods do, like a puppet. But in the same manner that an, an engineer applies pressure to a valve, he's got to know its limits to push to those limits so he knows its breaking point. And it is always more than you thought, isn't it? Some kinds of pain have a root cause and we are meant to seek and solve that issue, right? As basic as it sounds, think about how your body reacts to a new pain. You put your hand on a screaming hot stove, as all of us have made that mistake your body fires messages to the brain through your nervous system. Mayday, mayday, got a problem, huge problem here. Remove this new variable immediately. See what I'm saying? The thought never enters your mind of, hey, this pain in my hand is my new reality. So I'm just, I'm just gonna get used to it. It hurts now, but nevertheless, it has happened. This is my new normal, and I'm gonna have to learn to live with this, amen. See how dumb that sounds when you put it at that you know, primitive of a level? That's, that's kind of what I want you to think here. I think there is a lesson here from the Bible on the curse of the land as we head towards Noah, and I don't think it's just a blind fact or a new normal. That clue came to me this year in the Cain study in Adam and Eve in Genesis three seventeen quote, in sadness, you will eat of it all your days of your life, of the fruit, you know, end quote. So what would be so sad about working the land here? I mean, he didn't say difficulty, right? He, he, says that, he says that another place, and that's pretty clear. The ground is going to be way harder to work now. We got thorns and thistles, Georgia red clay. It, it's, it's, it sucks. It's going to be brutal. But why is it sad? Sit on that one for a second. It's sad because the work is now a toil. It's a grind. It's a labor. Work is not the problem. We're built to work, but in lockstep with our creator. Not anymore. The work is hard, but it didn't used to be. It used to be easy and a pleasure to do. And seeing the fruits of our labor was joyous all through the system. Input to throughput to output, and it's amplified with Cain. He gets nothing from the ground. He used to get crops. Not anymore. There is a futility there. Our sadness, our disappointment is a recognition of that futility. A remembrance that things could have, should have been different. What changed? Our closeness to the land is one thing. Hell, we were created out of the dirt. We're part earth and part, you know, heavenly spirit. The Almighty formed a man's body from breathing the breath of life into dust. The earth is a part of us, man. I read in preparation for the study that one rabbi even took it as far to think that When God famously says, let us make mankind in our image after our likeness, he had the other party there in that equation was the earth. He had the earth as a creator of man with God. Now, I disagree with that position, but I really like that. I like that posture as a thought experiment. We are alienated more from the soil now. You are a young farmer. Maybe you're one of Noah's sons working the vineyard with him. You get stuck by a pricker bush. Dang it, dad. This vine is covered in thorns. What the heck? And Noah might have replied, oh, yeah, it's it's difficult. It didn't used to be. They say that our ancestors had it where the fruit would just spring right out of the ground. They didn't even need to water it. No thorns. Oh, wow, Dad, that sounds pretty amazing. What happened? I think that is the comfort thought that we have to have. We have been alienated further away from our Creator with his curse of the land God doesn't want to alienate humanity. He loves humanity, but it was his idea. So why do it? I think it's this. Listen to this. You listening? Perhaps that feeling of being alienated is is like a it's a it's a homing beacon. It's a lighthouse, a guiding light that is calling us back to once was. The separation from God feels terrible. I feel sad. It is emotionally and spiritually draining in my new reality, where we were once with our creator, and there's a part of us that craves that return to oneness, to closeness forever and ever. Amen. I want to come back home to feel that warm embrace. And the further away we get, the stronger the signal calls out to us. So we need to continue to feel that sadness and long for it. Don't just accept it not to say well you know this is how the land is now oh well where's the plow let me dig up the weeds you know whistle while you work no i think that's wrong i think we got to feel it why tyler because it is the sadness that calls us home i just read this one of jesus's teachings that john recorded he told his disciples that if they are feeling at home and comfortable in this life they're doing it wrong They have given themselves over to the adversary. John 15, Jesus says, if the world hates you guys, and it does, know that it hated me first before it hated you. If you belong to this world, the world would love you as its own and would treat you with affection, but you are not of this world. You are no longer belonging to it, but I have chosen you out of this world. And because of this, the world hates you, end quote. You are supposed to feel uncomfortable in this life if you are connected to the vine. That is a good thing. Let's say, you're in a, let's say you're in a loveless marriage, right? It's year seven, you got the itch. It's year 13, where did time go? You got a couple kids, a mortgage, some brutal in-laws, 20K credit card debt, and when you get home from work, you know, y- you get a glance from your bride, no hug, no kiss, no interaction, you get the, hey... And you say, hey, and that might be the bulk of the conversation for the day. I mean, after that, it might be text messages about logistics of taking the kids to some sport that they might be terrible at, but you force it upon them because of social norms and your lost childhood dreams. (laughs) Unless a fight over finances or laundry or cutting the grass, you get in the shower and you start doing your shower thinking. Why is it like this? Is this marriage? Has it always been like this and I didn't see it? I thought we used to be happy, I think. So in love, so in tune with each other. Where did it go wrong? Is there a way back? Or is this just how it is now? Boom. That is the feeling, man. You feel that pain? That's what I want you to feel. Man is supposed to feel this sadness every damn day about the land, always seeking to reconnect to one of his partners in the creation story and that being the land. Just like two becoming one in marriage, so the same thing here. Man has got to overcome his alienation and keep trying to get back. Get the relationship with the land back on track. What he cannot do is anesthetize himself against the pain. He cannot just think of new technologies to counter the toil of the land, the tilling of the soil. If he just uses his time to think of new inventions, to deal with his new reality, then that is giving up on the thought of ever giving back. Just like a husband numbs himself in this terrible marriage with alcohol or pills or work, just throwing in the towel and accepting the fact that I I guess this is the life I've carved out for myself. I'm going to ride it out. I've made my bed. I got to sleep in it. I think that's what God did with mankind. He kept seeing us getting further and further away from him through the knowledge of the watchers that came down and taught mankind being, you know, every thought we have is evil now. There's no hope left in us, no fight in us left to try and push to get back to the garden. The only way out now was to start over with a reset button and that was the flood. God didn't randomly decide to give up on mankind. God gave up only when we gave up. Whew. So God takes the one guy you can partner with, and that's Noah. He tells him to gather his family. And just like I said at the beginning of this podcast, he is starting the language of creating again. He's going to try again. This will be a very new world. Before, we had spiritual beings cascading, beautiful jewels in the ground, fruits, colors, this, this one feels less ethereal to me and you as I drive down, drive down the highway. It's less mystic, you know? I think that's on purpose, and I think it's sad. It's like God, our creator, is taking his hands off, you know, a little bit. He's handing us the underwriting pen to write our own policies. And once again, this is no Sunday school story. This is one of the saddest stories I have explored, and the more I get into it, I peel the onion a little more. One study I read on this even noticed the detail of the door of the ark. You don't pick up on this in the story, but who shuts the door to the ark when they're getting in? It's Yahweh. He's tucking them in. And then who opens the door to the ark after this global event to start their new world? It's Noah. It's a changing of the guard, potentially. God is saying, this is more your world now. And tragically, as you can see in today's world now more than ever, our eyes are adjusting to the darkness we are more and more comfortable in the dull in the gloom in the shadows in the dusk and maybe you see what i'm saying now noah is the only figure that gets to see both worlds and right after he opens the gate and secures some ground he he builds a vineyard and gets drunk and and you know brother wait till i uncover that part of the story you will be none too pleased with my take on that And <laughs> i really think i'm right on it it's a terrible story but Perhaps this new reality was just kind of too much for the guy. I think we can agree with that. Most adults today do the exact same thing. The antidepressant to start the day. The glass of wine or beer after work turns to five. Sleeping pills to turn the brain off. Rinse and repeat. Do you think that is close to the life that we're supposed to be living? Getting through the day? We were never meant to get through the day. Imagine your 10-year-old self seeing the grown-up version of you. Yikes. Yikes. But, you know, we got to do more, man. you got to plug in. You've got to tap into the source, the living water. So when would a benevolent, compassionate, tolerant God give up on humanity? Never, as long as we are still working to restore the relationship. As long as there is a glimmer of hope, he will wait for us forever. He will take as much time as we need. It takes longer for some of us than others, but we all have the ability But if we never repent, if we never turn or pause or check in, if we just accept the new terrible reality and say, this is how it is, if we start inventing technologies to just help us with our new sad reality, it's like we're throwing our hands up at the curse and giving up. But we don't have to. If we can stay connected to the vine, stay rooted, stay plugged in, fight the good fight, race against that dying of the light the reward on the other side is mind-blowing we can't fathom it your goal in this life should be to find the light find out where it came from and spread it like wildfire we all want to get to the other side and see jesus standing there with arms open and tell us these perfect words you have fought the good fight you have finished the race you have kept the faith." Well done, good and faithful servant. I'm Tyler Parker, Sunday School's out.